welcome to the Pages of Light podcast, your destination for discussions of popular fantasy and science fiction novels from a Christian worldview. My name is Tyler, and with me as always is Gabriel, aka the Quarantine Quartermaster. Welcome back to the podcast, Gabe. How's it going? Oh, it's going well. So at the time of this recording, I am looking forward to eating Thanksgiving dinner. But the time that the listeners hear this, I will have already eaten the dinner. So I just <laughs> hope true. that uh, everyone had a good Thanksgiving. They were thankful for something and they shared uh, that right. love and that experience with their friends and gave thanks to God and did all the things. So I'm uh, so that just is me saying I'm looking forward to turkey, um, <laughs> cranberry, uh, cranberry stuffing and all the other good <laughs> turkey food I can't even think of right now. So is your favorite so Thanksgiving here. course the turkey? Oh, I do like the turkey. I do like the dark meat. Um, sometimes we get really good stuffing. And my mom makes this uh, these sweet potatoes with like orange like ground up in it. So it's like sweet potatoes and then it has like an orange flavor in addition and okay. she puts like um walnuts and like um and like uh, whipped cream on top i mean Ooh. it's basically a dessert but i get to serve <laughs> it up with dinner so like that's right it's, it's, it's obviously like Potatoes. double or triple dessert yeah there you go <laughs> nice my favorite thanksgiving thing has to be the stuffing oh yeah stuffing is good not, does yours come with stuffing. meat no, it's some of just them have like, like. I think my mom always buys the the stovetop, whatever brand that is, stovetop stuffing. Uh-huh. So yeah, I don't know. It's such a comfort food. You just eat it and you just like right want to lay down and take a nap. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Um, <laughs> let us know your favorite Thanksgiving uh, <laughs> item down in the comments, and if you're listening to this in like July doesn't matter still tell us your favorite Thanksgiving. go for it just go for it we want to know um (laughs) cool yeah uh yeah and by the time you guys when this was released uh december will have started so happy uh holidays christmas hanukkah all those other things so yes uh yes yes. uh make sure you go to pagesoflight.com to check out all the other stuff that we're uh, doing uh, and you can also follow us on social media uh, subscribe on YouTube subscribe on audio all the other social platforms find us over there so in this episode we're going to be starting a new book slash new series although this is just a one-off because it's a it's technically a, a prequel to a trilogy which is mm-hmm. uh, the Bartimaeus series so I guess originally there was a trilogy of books released when was that in like the 90s was that when they came out i would have to check but i believe the three books are the amulet of samarkand which is book one uh the golem's eye which is book two and ptolemy's gate which is book three um and yeah this is kind of the fourth book written so he wrote those three then he wrote this one and uh You've kind of been thrown in at the deep end with all of like the the genies and the summonings and the circles uh, and like you know how right. the magicians like work with the demons and stuff and, and you know the author Jonathan Stroud has had a lot of time to develop this world so um, you're getting it like full tilt. 
Nothing. I'm, nothing's I'm getting, held back. I'm getting the fire hose straight up. Yep. Um, yeah. So this book is called The Ring of Solomon. It was released in 2010, and yeah, it's a prequel to the original series that Gabe just mentioned. Um, so we get to go back. You said the first. You said the trilogy was set in like the Industrial Revolution time type period. Yeah, like post-industrial revolution. There are cars, but I feel like they're like the original like 50s like big black cars that take up a lot of space and right. um yeah, so it's about it's about a magical society that's right. like the magicians are the ruling class over the the commoners um in in basically like England. Right. Um so in this and, book uh, yeah, we're going to be going we're going about a thousand years, a thousand years previously, because <laughs> this book is set in 950. Oh, no, it's more than a thousand years. What am I talking about? This would be like almost 3000, almost 3000. Yeah, almost, yeah, almost yep. 3000 years in the past, because we're going all the way back to 950 BC, as it says on the back of the book, uh, during the rule of King Solomon, hence the name The Ring of Solomon. So, yeah, a little bit different type of book than we normally read. Um, so, yeah, it's going to be going to be exciting. Uh, what did you I guess? So you've read the original series. What was your favorite thing about the original series? Um, I like Bartimaeus as a character. Uh, we were talking a little bit before the podcast started. He's just so like vain and full of himself. Uh, he does like some amazing things, but he's also kind of like a bungler in some ways. Like yep. he just, uh, like he will just mess things up, and he he does not care that you know that the magicians have complete power over him. They're all he's always going to give them back chat and give them a right. hard time no, no matter what they're doing. Um, and yeah, so he's just trying to make the best of his like servitude like he's like i gotta be here and he um i just find his dialogue funny and i also just love jonathan stroud's ability to like like uh just describe things his vocabulary choices just are very appealing to me and i just read these books and i'm just i wish that i could have the vocabulary that he does eloquently like in context in you know in a conversation i just love the way that he describes things um i i think that he uh he just does an excellent job and there's some descriptions from like i can even remember from like books one and two that just have stuck with me over the years um like like he has created like these strong visual images in my brain using his right. words and uh yeah i think he's a great wordsmith um, cool. And uh, I am a delinquent co-host here because I do not have a favorite quote this week or last week or the week before, and I'm going crazy. So I have to ask you, <laughs> did you uh, get a favorite quote for this week? I did get a favorite quote. Um, All right. Although it did, it did take me a second to like I. After I finished the section that we were going to read, I didn't have one immediately. I had to go back and look through my uh, highlights to think of, uh, figure out a good one to pick. Um, so this quote isn't like, it's not super profound or anything, but I just thought it was an interesting uh, kind of 
take on just the character of Solomon and how Jonathan Stroud's version of Solomon in this book is different than the biblical character of Solomon. Well, not character, real person Solomon that we would know uh, from the biblical story. Um, so this is uh, on page 52 on the paperback, if you have that. And uh, Bartimaeus, this is just like his inner monologue, I believe. Uh, and he says, the ring, that was the heart of it all. That was why Jerusalem flourished. And there's a few other things that he says uh, going on after that quote. Um, but I just like this quote because, um, like I said, it points to like a different picture of what Solomon is in this book. And uh, it's almost like in this story, Solomon's ring is a replacement for God in the story. Because as far as I know, in this book, God is not mentioned. And the reason for Jerusalem and Israel's wealth and power is because Solomon individually has this super powerful ring. So Solomon is relying on his own like willpower and own power instead of on uh, the power of God working through him and through the chosen people of Israel. Um, yeah, so I just thought that was an interesting kind of setup for the story that was different from how biblical Solomon actually was as a character. Um, so it's making it more Solomon individual character focus and less about God focused. So yeah, that was just my, yeah. And I, yeah, I like the quote that you chose and like the reason why you chose it. Um, because, you know, I don't know Solomon that well, um, from, you know, reading the Bible, but I know his book of Proverbs. I, I read Proverbs is probably one of my favorite books. Uh, in the whole Bible because I always read it and I always have applications like that day or the next day or right. I feel convicted by something um, and those are Solomon's words he is credited with being the wisest person um, to ever walk and yes that it's kind of you know I, I feel that Solomon the way he's portrayed in this book and in, in like he has the ring like that's just someone who is incredibly like wealthy and they can do these things. And it's, it is a replacement for God. And and in the Bible, it talks about, you know, not placing all of your trust and your wealth and your comfort and, um, and yep. yes, relying on God. And, um, I, and I also think that that happens. I think of like throwing neighborhood parties and stuff, and then you just go and food is provided for you your kids are safe and um you know people do that all the time they like have people over and stuff and um people who aren't aware that all good things flow from god will say like oh yeah my friends take care of me and like they build this worldly view of like where all the good is coming from um when god is the source of all good um and they look to those worldly things instead of to our maker and, and the true, uh, right. You know, God who, who gives all things that are good. Um, right. so good choice. Thank you very much. <laughs> yeah. And, um, we'll hop into the, uh, the book discussion here as well, because we'll start off talking about, uh, Solomon. Um, actually, no, we're going to start off talking about the opening chapter or the opening section, which is chapters one through three, uh, which is Bartimaeus, um, his like opening, his like intro sequence to the book. So this is my first introduction to uh, Bartimaeus. Uh, do you want to 
recap us what uh what exactly happened in this first section where we get to meet Bartimaeus? Sure, and just you know fill in any of the gaps. Um, so Bartimaeus is a genie who's been summoned by Ezekiel, who is one of Solomon's uh, court wizards, and he is being his Bartimaeus self, where he's just kind of always challenging. He appears in the uh, like he either challenges like intellectually, but in this case, he's also like taking a female form. Um, to kind of like throw his master off his game um, and try and get him to mess up. Because if the magician ever leaves the circle, they are, uh, the demon can have complete control of, over them before, you know, basically they're going to kill them. And Bartimaeus says, that's what, you know, that's what we all love to do. We love to kill our masters and we love to go home. Like, <laughs> that's, um, just so. Yeah. Um, so Ezekiel tasks Bartimaeus with um, capturing an item of great power. And so he sends him across the deserts to this remote location. And um, Bartimaeus is he's doing a good job. He gets in there. He's fighting some skeletons and he blows this one skeleton up. His, his head like pops off and um, he triggers like a sensor like inside the um so if you're just new to the series, there's uh, these things called the seven planes of existence. And um, so as humans, we can see the first plane, everything in the material world. And then as you go deeper into the planes, you can see more and more things. And the lower uh, like class of demons, like the imps and the foliates, they can see on... Well, foliates probably can see on all seven planes. Anyone can... Uh, after foliate like Jin and Afrits and um, Marids uh, can see onto the seventh plane. And so there's these wards that are set up that are like these spiritual wards in the, um, in the tomb and Bartimaeus trips them and he gets this high level entity saying, you cannot take this dragon figurine away from me. I've been charged with saving it. And uh, so Bartimaeus, ends up having a discussion and they have a little bit of a brawl but um the, the tomb collapses in on itself and Bartimaeus escapes with the um artifact and um I and, and then it, again I just love Jonathan Stroud's like description of Ezekiel and how he has avarice in his eye and his um his mouth like dripped with anticipation like he's he, he's painting like the magicians as these like power-hungry people who can't even, like, control themselves, which is what he kind of builds them as. Um, But Bartimaeus gets Ezekiel tripped up. Um, He uses the little figurine, and I think he fires, like, maybe, like, a jet of water or something um, at Ezekiel, and it causes him to break the barrier of the the circle of binding. Um, And Bartimaeus gets to kill Ezekiel, and then he is dismissed to the other place because he's no longer bound by the magician because the magician is dead. Um, and he's like, Oh, I'm off to freedom. See you later. And that is, uh, that is part one of the book. Anything that you need to add? No, I miss. You covered it pretty well. Um, yeah, I mean, you're talking about how they paint the magicians in this book. And again, it's almost, it's interesting because Solomon and Israel are, it's like they're, they're the bad guys in this story. They're like the bad magicians and they're the ones in power. And yeah, it's just interesting that all of the, 
the biblical characters are painted as like these power hungry kind of uh, characters. Um, but you also get uh, when Asmira is riding with the caravan later. Mm-hmm. Uh, we'll get to that part. You do hear like uh, Solomon has done great good as well. Um, so true. you know there there is some like you know Asmira you know. And right. I'll I'll let you get into her storyline, but you know she has one way of viewing Solomon, and then her view is challenged when she's on this like caravan ride to um, right Jerusalem. Yeah. Um, so with that, should I do a little bit of a background on King Solomon? Yeah, go for it. Because the next chapter is Solomon's chapter, so we get to see a little bit about who he is as a. A character and his motives and stuff like that but Gabe's gonna give us a little bit of a rundown on who the biblical character of Solomon was yeah so I searched up an article that I thought had some interesting points and I'm not gonna read the whole thing if you'd like to see more about it there'll be a link in the description um, so who was King Solomon the beginner's guide this is from overviewbible.com slash Solomon um, so King Solomon was the son of David and the third king of Israel Uh, Like his father, Solomon reigned for 40 years, probably from 970 to 931 BC. He is often referred to as the wisest and wealthiest man who ever lived. And he's a traditional author of multiple books of the Bible, all which fall into poetry section of the Old Testament. Um, Solomon also built God's first temple in Jerusalem, uh, which is why it's known as Solomon's Temple. Uh, so what is he known for? So a few things. Uh, he asked God for wisdom. Solomon asked for wisdom and knowledge so that he could better govern God's people. Uh, he was incredibly wealthy. So Solomon obviously inherited a great deal of wealth from his father, David, who built up an immense treasury through spoils of war. Um, to help Solomon build the temple, uh, David set aside 100,000 talents of gold and a million talents of silver, as well as quantities of bronze and iron, too uh, great to be weighed. Um, But Solomon just didn't live off his father's fortune. God's promise to give Solomon wisdom included a promise to give him wealth, and God delivered. And then they cite Chronicles 29, uh, 25. The Lord highly exalted Solomon in the sight of all of Israel and bestowed on him a royal splendor such as no king over israel had ever had before um so he built the uh god's temple that's another thing on here he had many wives solomon was um god's anointed and god blessed him tremendously he uh, wasn't exactly famous for his purity according to first kings eleven three. solomon had 700 wives and 300 concubines that's a lot. Two, I know sometimes I think one wife is a lot, so I don't know <laughs> how, how, that, how that works. Okay. Um, so here it says he promoted idolatry um, since ancient religions were so deeply embedded in their cultures of origin. Marrying foreigners exposed the Israels to their gods, rituals, and traditions that shaped their worldview and behaviors. Idols were revered as an embodiment of God's uh, represented so bringing idols and idol worship into your home was under the influence of other gods. Um, 
Another thing was he wrote and spoke many proverbs. And like I said earlier, proverbs is definitely one of my favorite books. So that all is from right. the overviewbible.com uh, website. And uh, I just thought those were some interesting points and kind of gives you a background on, on King Solomon here. Yeah. So he did a lot of uh, good things and he did some, some not so good things, which is like most characters in the Bible. Not most of the characters in the Bible are known for some great things, but they're also known for some bad things. Like Peter, he's the rock of the church, but he's all he also denied Jesus three times. So, um, just goes to show God can use imperfect people to do amazing things, and you can be one of those people as well. That's so always a good reminder to us. So, you don't have to be perfect to serve God, yeah. And don't try and wait till you're good enough for God. Right. <laughs> uh, won't, because, won't happen. Yeah. That, that, yeah. The only person who was good enough for God was Jesus. Um, and, <laughs> and so right. we are very lucky that when God sees us, he sees Jesus. If we love and <laughs> um, believe in Jesus, uh, because, yeah, I know I waited to be like good enough for God. Like, oh, I just need to get my act together before I go to God. And that right. is. Uh, it's just not going to happen. You need to start seeking God now and knowing that he is the God of the universe and he can bring you to him and um, he can help you heal. Um, yeah. You just have to, you have to be open and you have to start seeking him. It's, it just won't happen on its own. Right. It's a good word. Uh, so continuing with uh, Solomon in this book, so the next scene after Bartimaeus' little opening uh, part there, we get a scene with Solomon and just get to be introduced to him as a character. Um, and so he's basically, he finds out that Ezekiel was killed and he's not very happy about that, of course. And uh, he's amazed that a, it says a mere jinn, jinny, is the perpetrator. Because I guess the jinn are not, they're kind of in the middle of the totem pole in terms of the spirit world. Uh, so you said before there's the imps, there's the foliots, there's the jinn, then there's the afrits, right? And mm-hmm. then there's the afrits. marids, maribs, marids. Uh, I always hear it pronounced like married, married, like, yep, yeah, um, like married. It's it's almost like the past tense of marry, but like right. maybe marid. I think you're saying it. I I just hear it in the book so often that my my mind kind of just like right. changes it into the word I want it to be. It's, it's so terrible. Um, I need I need to listen to the phonetic enunciation. But it's, but so it's interesting it because right. there's the Marib with a D, but then there's also a place called Marib with a B. So <laughs> yeah. double conf- confusing. So you can't confuse the uh, spirit and the place. Right. Um, so, but yeah, so he's, he's not very happy that a Amir Jinn, of the fourth level. Um, I don't remember specifically what the fourth level means. I guess that's like the level of gin that he is. I guess there's different types of gin. Uh, maybe that's, you get more details about that in the other, in the original trilogy. Um, Actually, you know, what's interesting. Just quick side, side note, side quest. Um, yeah. Side quest. So he, this is the only incongruity uh, that I have found in the books is that in book one, I think he puts Bartimaeus at the 14th level 
And then All I right. think he like just reduces it down to the fourth level. And so, um, well, yeah, but this is 3000 years prior. So, I mean, he's had 3000 years to climb 10 levels. So, I mean, that seems reasonable to me. Yeah. But I think like later in the series, like he calls him a fourth level. So I think like uh, at some point in okay. his brain, he's like, I'm not going to be that precise or something like the 14th level is right. like, you know, you know, that's a lot like, of levels. Yeah, like classifications. Like, because, you know, in his brain, he's like, there probably has to be some qualifying factor that would separate the 13th level from the 14th level. Yes. And then, like, am I really going to build that up in my brain so that I know? And then it was just like, you know, probably yeah. like the fourth level, that's much more manageable. I, I, don't, I don't know. I don't know his brain, but that's just kind of how I explained it because I do believe. It's first called the fourteenth level, and then it drops to the fourth, and then again in this book, it's you know of the fourth level. Um, so, if this yeah, was think, if this was an epic fantasy, fourteen books like Wheel of Time, he would have mapped them all out. Oh yeah, <laughs> <laughs> but because this is, I guess this is considered a YA book, right? I would say, like it's Young not, adult. yeah, it's not necessarily not that it, not that adults can't read it. We're adults, dude. I love, it. but it's yeah, more it's more targeted towards. It's easier to read for a younger audience, I would say. Easier yeah, to understand. I love young, I love young adult stuff. Although yeah. his vocabulary is is very good. <laughs> yeah, indeed. Um, but yes, we were talking about Solomon, and so he finds out that Ezekiel was killed, and that's not he doesn't like that, and uh, so he summons. Uh, he asks Kaba, which is one of his uh, musicians, <laughs> not musicians, magicians in his court. There you go. <laughs> I'm just thinking of Kaba as a musician. It just makes me laugh. <clears throat> so uh, Kaba is one of his magicians, and uh, he asks Kaba to resummon uh, Bartimaeus to be his slave, essentially. And uh, he has another. He has a bunch of other spirits that are under him as well, ones that have done things that Solomon didn't like. And so Kaba is kind of the leader of the the outcast spirits. It seems like. And uh, so he gets put into his service and they're given this charge that they have to uh, like do all this manual labor um, because they're basically being punished. So they have to do like crappy work. Um, so that's what he is going to be required to do. And then we also get a scene. Um, it's basically imagine like King Solomon is in his court in his throne room and people are coming up to him and like bringing, you know, the news of the day here's what's happened in your in your realm today and he has to make decisions about these things um so he makes the decision about bartimaeus and with kaba and then he also has to make a decision about uh the queen of sheba uh, whose name is balkis and he's basically trying to like rule their kingdom and he wants uh them to pay tribute essentially and i think originally he wanted to marry her if i'm not mistaken and she's refused him a bunch of times. And, uh, in, yes. the next, in the next chapter, chapter five, we get Balkus's point of view from this. And, uh, yeah, he's going to basically like give her one, basically one final chance to, you know, come to amends, uh, with, you know, King Solomon and to pay tribute essentially. And if she refuses, then he's, it's not going to be a good time. I don't think it, specifically spells out what's he what he what he's going to do to the kingdom 
of Sheba if she uh, declines, but so that's basically what happens with that. Um, and then there's one final scene uh, where his, uh, well, it's, I guess it's kind of in the midst of this. One of his uh, viziers, I think it was, he suggests that you should just use the ring and go down there and like wipe him out or something. And Solomon doesn't like his viziers like telling him what to do essentially, and so he threatens them, using his using his ring to threaten them. And those it described. I think you mentioned it earlier, like this presence of the ring. Um, it yeah, reminds, it's like towering and right. silent, and everyone is just very intimidated. Yeah, it reminds me of that scene in Lord of the Rings. Uh, <laughs> I'm always going to bring in Lord of the Rings because that's my thing. I, I um, know you are. <laughs> so it reminds me of that scene in Lord of the Rings whenever uh, Gandalf is using the black speech and there's like the like the shadow comes in and uh, it's like this dark, dark energy is like entering the area and like everyone's like, oh my gosh, what's happening? So yep. that's, what, that's what it reminded me of. Mm-hmm. Yep. But yeah. Any comments about Solomon, the scene, this chapter and uh, what's going on there? Um, just the night and day difference from like what Solomon is like able to summon, uh, in this time is so much more than in the future trilogy books where like the, you know, that seems to always be a thing like wheel of time, like, you know, before the breaking of the world, the Aes Sedai, you know, were so much more powerful, um, you know, when Bo is defending the mountain watch and he's talking about the privileges of old and how they built these walls a thousand years ago and the magic still holds. And, you know, in this book, um, you know, we have like King Solomon who's able to summon like all these Afrits and marrieds and, uh, Jin at just by touching his ring. He's not even a magician. Like they say that in the book, he doesn't know like how to make the binding, uh, you know pentagram to summon the demon and all that he just has the ring um and so he has got all this like magical force um at his disposal so um i just find that interesting uh that it's such a different scene from like the future uh where magicians still are the ruling class but they are just right they're nerfed they're just not as powerful yeah yeah that's definitely true a lot of fantasy is it's almost like there a lot of them are set in time periods where they look back at things that were and how like it was like a golden age or something like that and we've lost yep. that and we're trying to get back to it and i think that's like from a biblical perspective that really speaks to like just the nature of like the human experience because as human beings we did have a golden age in the garden of eden and we were one with our creator and we have that cycle has been broken and we are now in a fallen state and we as humans are trying to get back to our true nature and our our true bodies and i think that's just like a deeply human thing like we want there's something that's like missing in this world like there's whether it's justice or like just in your own life like you're not you don't feel fulfilled in all the stuff that you're doing and there's just a sense of like things could always things can be better things should be better and one day according to the biblical story things will be better when jesus comes back and so i think that's something that's just like deeply embedded into the human psyche of uh wanting things to be uh better than they are now so yeah i don't know that's a good word tyler 
And you know what I'm going to say is like, that's all true, but so many people are lost that they don't even know to like right. look for God, you know? Yeah. And that's why, you know, part of the reason why we're doing this podcast, we, uh, Tyler and I went to a men's breakfast together and we were thinking about how, um, we hope that this show has an impact on your life, the listener, you know, your life that you can kind of see the things that we talk about and apply it to your own walk with Christ. Um, cause that's good discipleship and we want that to happen. Um, but I would, yeah, just, yeah, back to everyone. Some people just don't even know that they're lost. Yeah. Um, and I think it's our job to find those people and try and turn them to the light in any way that we can. Um, right. Because it's just so sad that some people like don't even have a shot, you know, to get to heaven um, because no one's able to give them the good word and the gospel. Um, so that's why God calls us to be disciples so that we can share that with other people. Yeah. Fulfill the great commission. Yep. Cool. Yeah. So that's, uh, that's the scene with Solomon and, uh, we get some, we get a few other scenes with Solomon a little bit later on, but that's the, that's the main scene we get with him in this, this half of the book. I'm sure we get some more scenes with him later on. Uh, but I don't know if I mentioned we, for this book, for this podcast we did parts one and two which is chapters one through 20 that's what we're doing in this podcast so and then for part two we will finish the book and do i think it's chapters 21 to 38 i think is that is the end Mm -hmm. so there you go um yeah the next thing we get is with uh who i mentioned earlier with solomon's chapter and she's the queen of sheba and uh and their capital um is uh marib not to be confused with marid the spirit um and in her scene she's basically gets in the previous scene uh solomon sends a messenger to balkis and in this scene she is getting that messenger's uh information from king solomon and balkis is kind of like i've already said no to you guys like a ton of times or the last three or four times and he's like well you're gonna have to answer it again essentially um and so basically he wants her to pay a ransom of 40 sacks of frankincense or be destroyed so that's basically that's basically his terms and <laughs> yeah. uh uh Balkis doesn't really want to be in the they actually make a comment now that i'm talking about this they she makes it i think the guy makes a comment that your kingdom is super wealthy, like 40 sacks of frankincense, like is not going to hurt you guys. Like it's not going to be, it's not going to affect their wealth and their status. Um, but Balkis still does not want to be under the thumb of King Solomon. They want to remain independent. Um, so it just kind of shows her like her character and how she doesn't want to be bullied around by Solomon, even though he's, she's, he's super powerful, but you know, she she stands up to him so that's a that's a a cool thing about her character i think she's standing up for what she believes in even though he could probably just destroy her pretty quickly yeah she wants to remain sovereign over her her land and her country and um yeah and and i think she's one of the few leaders who is actually standing up to solomon right um so after the messenger leaves um she does this like 
seems like she does this little kind of test thing where she breaks this like alarm and essentially the first guard that gets to her room is the one that she's going to charge with going off to try to assassinate Solomon. Um, so I just thought that was an interesting little thing that she did. It's like whoever gets here the quickest will be my my best guard and <laughs> that'll be the person who can who can assassinate Solomon. Um, enter Asmira. Enter Asmira, right. Um, so this is where we get Asmira. She's a uh, captain, a guard captain. And uh, yeah. She's I one like. of the main characters in the book. She is. So for the next, most of the book, we'll be following her and Bartimaeus. And so the start of her story is that Balkus is asking her to go and assassinate Solomon. And it has to be done within two weeks because that was the time limit that Solomon gave Balkus of when her decision had to be made. Um, so she's got to get there, get there quick and do the job and then get out, hopefully. Um, so, yeah, there you go. Uh, yeah, that's basically the setup for the story. And then now we're going to jump back to, uh, to Bartimaeus where Gabe can, can take us away for what's going on next. Yeah. So... Um Bartimaeus leaves after he kills Ezekiel and he's like, ah, I'm free. I'm going back to the other place. And so, um, not so fast. (laughs) Yeah, not so fast. So he gets back for like a day and then he's summoned back to, um, Israel, um, under Kaba, who is basically sadistic. Um, and he, (laughs) yeah, yeah, he, um, he meets the other jinn who are, um, going to be in, in Kaba's service and so there's like, uh, I think Gazeri is a foliate who's like kind of Kaba's like eyes and ears on things. Um, yeah. And then there's in the, in the book wall. In the book, there's this nice little chart of all the, the spirits. And I don't know if you can see that uh, up there. So that's a very, yeah. handy, very handy chart in the paperback there. Oh, that is nice. Yeah. So Gazeri um, is a foliate in the service to Kaba the Cruel is what they call him. Oh, I didn't know he was Kaba the Cruel, but yeah, that definitely that's a, that's makes a cor- sense. That's a correct name. Oh, Kaba the Cruel. There we go. Um, and him and uh, Fakwal have like history together. They've been on opposite sides, but now they're in servitude together. Um, and it starts with manual labor of building like the temple. Um, they have to like, but Bartimaeus has this plan which because he's Bartimaeus, he's like going to drive his other um, his other master and the other gin that he's working with up the wall. And he raises his hand. He's like, I find this unsatisfactory. And Kaba is like, what? And he's like, you've you've paired me with all these fools. And, you know, that one over there, he's fat, you know, and like he. Just like, I just love Bartimaeus' banter. It is just so funny. And then like, and then so the scene devolves into chaos. All the djinn are like fighting and like saying, you said this about me and all of this. And Kaba's had enough and he gets out the essence flail. Um, So all like spirits are made of an essence. And that is like their quote unquote like soul. And they are not bound by any particular form here on the material plane. They choose a form and they can change shapes into animals or uh, cryptid creatures or humans or anything that they want to be 
but Kaba starts swinging this flail around um, and essentially like pierces them and he's like got them like up in the air and they're like flying and like colliding each other like a bad like trampoline park experience and then they all crash to earth um, and they're all dazed and he's like and, and they all had like put on these like horns or changed their skin color so that they were slightly you know not human and he's doesn't like that um mm-hmm. and so he puts them to work and they are you know building this temple and they're told not to use any magical powers um and then kaba like is no longer sending gazeri to like spy on them and then they just like start like levitating these huge bricks and just like you know moving it and then they're supposed to have a watch out you know well, it's like say, it's like, like hey get, get classic if you ever worked like a retail job it's classic like your your manager is not really watching you so you just like kind of do your job half of what you would normally do it <laughs> everyone's been in those positions where you're not you're not giving your 100 percent. you're kind of take you're cutting corners you're doing all those things because the boss is out of town it's essentially what's happening yep. And, and no one's checking in. And so um, Bartimaeus starts singing songs about Solomon's wives and how he is like Bartimaeus the Great and, um, you know, just carrying on. And then Solomon shows up and Bartimaeus just runs. Like, that's his immediate, like, uh, reaction. Um, but there's, like, some sort of like event or like I don't know what happens but all like Solomon's wives are like flung in all these different directions and he touches the ring and all these jinn and afrites appear um to catch the wives and to save them from being thrown all over the sands Mm -hmm. and um Solomon is not happy um but then he talks to Bartimaeus, who basically is like pleading for his life. Yeah, um, he's, like, he's like groveling. And, yep, being sycophantic, you know, just telling Solomon how great he is, and um, Solomon's actually entertained. He's like, <laughs> "I don't even need my jugglers tonight. You've so overacted yourself." If Bartimaeus um, is anything, he's entertaining. He is. I I like Bartimaeus. He's he's a good guy. I named my first D and D character after him, Bartimaeus. Wow, I didn't who know died that. in a wizard tired yeah. oh yeah that's right you told us about that earlier in one of the podcasts and now uh and what's your we're name starting d and d bartimae or bartimaeus like i'm gonna be a bard character yeah All right what's your what's yeah, your gonna, what's your musical instrument of choice as a bard uh, i think it's a liar um, a liar okay I some people do some people do the lute yep or you could do a flute <sighs> like a little piccolo <laughs> yep there's like seven different specialties that you could choose from to like be good at for music and i i'm still kind of flux like like some people just choose it and i'm like oh it's not speaking to me i want to like change it because it's not you know critical in the long run um, right so well yeah you, you'll have DM to whenever you, whenever, you, whenever you start you'll have to you'll have to give us the update on what uh what musical instrument you decided to pick we're starting tomorrow. I don't oh, okay, know so you have to make a up. decision here. I do. Oh, I man. do. I, I need to get on it. And and I need to make a My Mini factory so I can resin print my mini and then paint it up and, you know, have that for adventures yeah. and stuff. 
There you go. It's going to be sweet. Nice. Um, but, um, but I digress. Side quest complete. That's right. <laughs> Um, all right, so Solomon is upset with uh, Kaba for letting his genie get out of control. And so he says, you and your um, jinn are going out into the desert. You're going to find these bandits who are infesting my land, and you're going to bring them to justice. And so Kaba is exiled. He no longer has the favor of um, King Solomon, and he's upset. Yes. Um, and so I guess we have to get to the end of Bartimaeus's story. So uh, a few more well, critical we, things well, happen. We could take a little side quest or a side tangent because there's like an interlude where we get a Kaba chapter and we basically get a section where Kaba, before they leave to go on this trip out into the desert, Kaba's talking to all of his, uh, is it his Marid Ahmet? I think he might be talking to. He's talking yep, with all of his spirits. His shadow. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. There's this weird thing Amen. with Kaba where he has that like shadow that follows him around. Mm-hmm. And it's like a little slower than normal, or it's just not, you know. Yeah. Um, Bartimaeus, Bartimaeus and he, he comments on it. Yeah. Yeah, he notices it, and then Bartimaeus has this weird experience while they're like hunting. Like Kaba's shadow just like appears around the corner and just like right gets bigger and bigger and bigger and just like goes after him. Bartimaeus is like, ah, what is going on? Yep. <laughs> and he gets out of there. Um, and then that's when they run into um, Asmira, who is part of, uh, been attacked by the bandits and mm-hmm. they save her. And she says, um, she's never really spoken with the, um, with the genies before. Um, and she says, oh, I'll help you get free. And she, I'll tell your master that you should be released for such good service. Um, and so Kaba does end up following, you know, his <laughs> well, promise. Before they were they were gonna eat her. That was their other option. <laughs> oh yeah. Let's <laughs> let's mention that. Yeah. Um Fakwal is like, let's eat her. because, um, you know, they're outside the boundaries of Jerusalem. Right. So um, you know, he they can't eat anyone in the city, so they're like, oh, we could get some energy out of this. But yep. they ended up not eating her because Bartimaeus basically is like, I have a good feeling about this one. So let's not eat her. Right. Um, Sorry, I continue. So, yeah, yeah. No, that was a good point. Um, so Kaba promises to um, Asmira that she is, that he will release them. So he's he takes... Um, Fakwal and Bartimaeus basically down into his torture chamber where there's all these like spirits trapped in bottles that are like basically in an eternity of agony uh, and they are confined and um, that's what he's going to do to Bartimaeus with the spell of indefinite confinement um, which basically puts um, a spirit into an object until it's released and there's no length on it and so technically it's a release from his control because he won't be using Bartimaeus day to day to do his work but it's a way to torture um, a soul that's right. indefinitely um, which just shows you Kaba the cruel's uh, sadistic nature he enjoys like uh, death and hurting things and um, he is very much Kaba the cruel long drawn so, out punishments yep 
And um, so Bartimaeus uh, is told that he will be put in there by another spirit. And we learn that Amit, who is the Afri, no, married Marie, that, yeah. um, that Kaaba first summoned uh, back in Egypt, when Kaaba lived in Egypt, um, and that Amet loves Kaaba, and he is no longer summoned like right. normal entities. He's, he's kind of brought into the world without like all the legalistic jargon that goes with a normal summoning. Right. And he serves Kaaba, and they are companions. Yeah, because Bartimaeus... He's trying to, like, barter with Ahmet and say, we could both mm-hmm. be free, um, which would have worked, except for what you had just said. Like, he actually likes and loves his master, which is atypical, seems like, for spirits. Oh, yeah. It, and it's it's anathema to Bartimaeus, who is just like... Yeah, like, I can't believe you. Like, this is impossible. Like, how could you love a magician who tortures and harms our kind? And, like, you love him. And then Bartimaeus, you know, he, he's he's a bit of a bungler, but he can he can do some stuff. So he, like, goes and um, distracts Amit. And then he, like, blows up all these, like, um, old books. Containers. Yep, books and, like, containers that have gin in them and uh, basically make wrecks, you know, Kaba's workshop. And then Amit gets a hold of him and then is he's put into, um, I forget the object, but the spell of indefinite confinement takes Bartimaeus. And that's, uh, and that's where his story at the end of part two leaves off. Yeah, he's stuck in the bottle. So like, what do you uh, think about uh, Bartimaeus's path here through uh, through the first two parts of the book? Um, yeah, I mean it's interesting. I think it was cool to see the uh, like the interaction with all the different uh, genie uh, as they're building the uh, Solomon's temple um, and getting the little details about. Uh, I commented earlier before we started the podcast with Gabe in Bartimaeus's chapter, we get all of these little footnote type things uh, throughout the book. So as Bartimaeus is talking about certain things, he'll like have these little sidebars of like, this is a word that I use. Let me define it for you. Or let me give you more context about something that uh, happened there. There was one of them that was like, no, I'm not going to be able to find it. Oh yeah, it was um it was at the end of chapter 2 and he had he was talking about some kind of uh cartwheel that he did. Um uh, I know, it says that uh prevented me from employing my usual elegant keynote maneuver in such circumstances and then he he comments about what this uh uh keynote maneuver was and it says the evasive cartwheel TM copyright etc Bartimaeus of Uruk circa 2800 BC. So and then the talks a little bit more about what it is, but there's just like silly things like that in the, in the book, which are, I find, I, f- I found were very enjoyable. <laughs> I, I just love the way that, uh, Jonathan Stroud builds out his world and his like vocabularies. Um, you know, I know one of the footnotes was like dismal flame and Tyler asked me like, how does that work in the audiobook? Because I can't like just go to the bottom of the page and see what it is. And they just insert it where it's relevant so like right. if they ended the sentence on like he held the dismal flame then the second sentence is dismal flame it, you know punitive spell that magicians use against the um right. their servants um so they just kind of insert it 
that way into the audiobook. Um, but yeah, it's just, uh, you know, you learn some of those things in the trilogy, but he definitely wants you to remember like the actual, you know, parts. And I was explaining to uh, Tyler that this reminds me of a, like when I was in college, we learned like APA formatting. And this was a different format. Right. I learned this like in my history class where you have these kind of footnotes, which is different from APA. Mm-hmm. Um, and I really like this. Uh, and you can tell that Jonathan Stroud has like a history background just because of the way he immerses you in the world. And like, you know, the fact that he put this in 950 BC and that's right in the middle of, you know, this article we read, like Solomon's rule and Egypt. And I just feel like, um, you know, different authors bring different strengths to the board and it's kind of like learning from someone. Um, yeah. So I feel like I'm like when I'm reading this book, I'm also getting like a sense of, you know, what it's like to live back then and the concerns of the people just a little right. bit more than um, other books. So I, I like Jonathan's shout for that because you right. um, I just like the way he integrates history and stuff into his uh, into his books. Yeah. Yeah, so I mean, I enjoyed a lot of the Bartimaeus stuff. Um, I definitely like the ending scene where he's he's like fighting with Ahmet. That was a very uh, intense scene because you you knew that Bartimaeus was like way out of his league, and he's like, I cannot contend with the Marid. <laughs> I'm like, yeah. I'm out of my depth here. So he was he basically had to resort to like distraction and evasion. Like he couldn't just fight him straight up. Um, he still fails in the end, but. Um, Bartimaeus strikes me as the kind of character who uh, is like he's super skilled and talented um, and he thinks very highly of himself it seems like uh, almost Correct. to his almost to his detriment like he thinks he can do more things than maybe he can and then sometimes I think that's what he makes a fool of himself uh, so that's kind of my read on him as a character yeah he he does foolish things um, and I, I just, you know, it is geared towards young adult, but I just find the humor in the book um, to be funny. Like when Bartimaeus is singing about Solomon's wives, especially the one from Moab, who right. appa- apparently is a little uh, rotund or, you know, larger. And yeah, it, it says in here that uh, because Bartimaeus was caught because he, he can change forms. He has like the, uh, this human form that he likes to wear, but in whenever he was caught by Solomon, he was in the form of a pygmy hippopotamus in a skirt, which is a reference to his wife from Moab. So that's one, yeah. another reason why Solomon was not very happy because I think he knew that that was a, a dig against one of his wives. Although if you have 700 wives, I don't know how it would be. I feel like it'd be kind of hard to keep them all straight in your head. Don't you think? Like, and like, it's just like, I mean, that is, two wives per day of the year like it's right. like <laughs> you know you can't esteem a wife plus 300 concubines <sighs> man <laughs> he's just like yep he he must have been a very virile man like there i said it <laughs> <laughs> there you go you heard it here first he he was blessed by the Lord. Okay. <laughs> That's right. Sorry. We I digress. <laughs> All right, that will conclude uh Bartimaeus discussion, although he will come up in uh Asmira's chapter in chapters in just a second. So yeah, let's talk about Asmira. And yeah, so as we mentioned before, she is charged with assassinating King Solomon 
and uh, so that's what she has to do. And at the beginning of her chapters, which is chapter eight, uh, I think, so she is essentially taken through this desert by one of uh, the the spirits in the charge of Sheba. I don't remember if he was given a name or not, but do you remember if he was given a name, the spirit that I, she's with? I'm not sure off the top of my head. I can't remember. Well, here, I'll bring up this map here in the book. Um, mm -hmm. So basically, if you look down here at the bottom, that's uh, Sheba slash Marib. And so this spirit takes her all the way across this desert up to this little town of Eilat, wherever that is. Um, however mm -hmm. you pronounce that, I mean. So he goes all the way up to Islet, or she does, and uh, this is where she starts off because she needs to get a, I don't know, looking at this map actually now, I'm like, why didn't the, um, oh no, I think that I, I think it's mentioned why. The spirit can only take her so far because then she'll, then they'll be in the realm of uh, Solomon and he won't let the spirits, I guess, go that far that aren't under his command. Or That's that it. he'll like detect them or right. something. Yeah, that I makes sense. That. Yeah. So he goes as far as he can and takes her to um, Eilat, uh, which is where she's going to go get a camel, essentially. And um, there's a. Uh, um, she's like bartering with this camel seller person. And the guy, the guy like does not want to sell her a camel. He's like, shouldn't you're like, shouldn't I be talking to your husband or like, like, you know, in that culture, like the women didn't necessarily uh, weren't the ones making the decisions. They weren't the ones, you know, out traveling the desert for just by themselves for no reason. Um, and so eventually he's swayed just because she gives him a ton of money, essentially. And uh, so, yeah, I just thought interesting scene, just laying the found like providing context for the culture that uh, they're living in at the time. Um, so she gets this camel. Um, uh, also, before then, I think as she's traveling to Eilat, she gets we get these little flashback scenes, uh, giving more of her backstory, and uh, we get a scene when she's uh, a youth and she sees her mother, who was also a guard captain, if I remember correctly. Um, there's some kind of attack on the queen's life, and her mother is killed, defending the queen, and um, I think it was a cool scene, um, because she essentially she she basically like took a like took a shot for the queen like she knew like she it was like you know how the secret service people like they're trained to if there's an attack on the president's life like you're jumping in front of the president like you're not trying to save yourself you are there to save the president's life which means your life is expendable um so that's what the people who sign up for the secret service like that's what they're aware of whenever they sign up for that and a similar scenario here seems like what happened um so Asmir just kind of got this uh at a very young age like this sense of loyalty and um devotion to the queen and to her country and uh i think she makes this comment to um the demon who takes her to Eilat because she says you know thank you tell everybody thank you for me and I think the guy, the demon says, or the djinn says something about, like, you know, you shouldn't uh, thank those people. And I'm trying to remember the specific. Actually. I think he says something along the lines of, like, they're sending you to your death. Right, yes. Um, 
Yeah, she says, uh, foul demon, if I die, it shall be for my queen. My nation has been attacked. Um, and then he tells the, she tells the demon that you know nothing of loyalty or love or homeland. Um, so just like showing the contrast between like the demon's loyalties versus her loyalties. Like the demon is just a slave essentially. So he doesn't have any necessarily loyalty to the country, but she was born there and raised there. And so she has a different level of devotion to uh, her country. Um, yeah. So that, that was interesting, a tidbit of her character. So she's like, she's a true believer in the cause. So there's like a difference between she's someone, a patriot. Yeah. She's like, there's a difference between someone who's just hired to do a job and who will be like, ah, this is too much work. I'm not going to do it anymore because the money is not worth it to me or, you know, whatever it is, but she's going to do it if she's paid or not, because she actually believes in what she's doing. Um, yeah. So she's, she's a patriot, like you said. So, and I think that's an interesting, like, you know, I feel like that's a characteristic that is just harder, harder and harder to find. Like people who are like, yeah, I'll stand up and I'll die for America. You know, like the people that I see do that are like, you know, in the armed forces. And if you're, if you've served, thank you for your service. Um, but I just feel like, and that, and like that's something that's like kind of bred into the into you. I feel like when you go into the military, like a lot of people, it's like some people go into the military and they don't have that kind of like passion, and maybe they never right. get it. But but like that's where I feel like I see it the most is like in the military. But I just feel like so many people are ready to jump ship on America. It's like, come on, where's the devotion to our yeah. like like you know things are bad, but it's still our country, like. You know, we are divided, but like, like the, the harder times will come down the road. Like I worry about Russia and China, (laughs) like taking over the world. And, uh, and that, that's a, you know, like we will need patriots at the time when it's, when we are asked to defend our homeland and defend our country and where will we be without people who are ready to die for our country. And, um, I'm really glad that there wasn't like a war like when I was 18 years old because I was really scared to sign up for the draft. I was like, I don't want to be drafted, you know. Yeah. Um, and I'm just really glad that everything has been smooth sailing so far. So I'm just going to keep praying that we have <laughs> no wars where people need to get drafted. <laughs> yeah, we can definitely pray for that. We don't want to have any wars happening. <clears throat> Um, so yeah, continuing with Asmira. So she gets her camel and she joins this caravan, uh, cause they're traveling all together to reach Jerusalem because it's kind of dangerous to travel by yourself in the desert. Um, cause there's no one to help you if you need, if something happens. So she travels with a group of people who are already going. And, um, this is where we get a scene where you mentioned that. So like she has one opinion of Solomon and, one of the people. Solomon the oppressor basically right yeah and so she has one opinion of him and then this other uh, person in the caravan has a different opinion and he points out like all of the good things that Solomon has done um, so yeah I don't know did you want did you have anything that you wanted to expand on that or um I don't no, know if just, I remember the specific know. conversation but yeah um no, no, nothing really uh, for that scene. Just that, um, basically, her patriot uh, patriotism is being challenged for the first time because right. 
Um, you know, we talk about echo chambers here in America where people surround themselves with people who are like-minded and they just kind of get these things reinforced over and over again. And if you're in this um, set of guards, like you were told, like, you're going to defend your country, you're going to protect the queen, um, and that's what you live and die for, and you just kind of get that over and over and over again. And, and like, Solomon is a bad guy. He's, you know, here to take your country. You have to go kill him. And right. now she's she's out of the echo chamber. She's hearing new people's opinions. and right. um, But she is so devoted that it's not swaying her. Like, right. you know, she's hearing it, but she's not being swayed um, by their talk. Yeah, I found, because I actually highlighted this, I found the little conversation. Um so the camel master says, what have you heard about him? And then he says that he's a, she says that he's a cruel warlord who threatens weaker nations. And then the camel master replies, well, there are many tales told about him. And I dare say not all of them are to his credit, but you will find many in this company who believe differently than you. They come to Jerusalem to seek his charity or to ask him to sit in judgment on difficult matters. No, you do not believe me. Ask them. And she says, perhaps I will. So maybe some, inklings of her, her just being exposed to new ideas and new ways of thinking um i don't know that that necessarily means that she's going to betray her country or like not follow through with what she's doing um but it may make her think and question if what she's doing is actually the right thing um yeah i don't know we don't really get any conclusion to that in this half of the book so we'll have to wait for part two i actually don't remember did you have you read this book i have yeah okay so as as in our last book with the Powder Mage trilogy, Gabe knows all the answers, and I am in the dark. So I know some <laughs> of the answers. I know I know where the last scene is going to take place. Well, the climax of the book, all and right. uh, I know a little bit of the path of how we get there, but I forget all the ins and outs. Nice. Um, yeah, yeah. I'm interested to see your reaction because uh, it'll. I think it'll be. Not what you expect, but we'll see. That's good. I like a good twist ending. I don't yeah. like it to be very predictable. Um, yeah, so continuing with Asmira. So basically they're traveling through uh, the desert on their way to Jerusalem, and um, the caravan gets attacked by the bandits um, slash brigands that Solomon is, has charged his little group of spirits to go out and uh, find and uh, defeat and so they the caravan gets attacked and I think um, as far as I know everybody gets killed except for Asmira I think she, that's correct yeah um, and she she's using some kind of magic it seems like she's got this like light magic from the sun god um, but she's I think able it's more the silver so that's something that's also in the trilogy okay. that uh the essence um like reacts negatively to silver and iron those things can ward off um, okay you know spirits. spirits and uh there's a description in the book uh in the trilogy that says they were approaching like this place filled with iron or silver and it was like approaching a roaring fire except the fire is like projecting cold energy instead of hot right interesting okay so i think does she have like some kind of 
like I think she has a something. talisman. Yeah, yeah like okay. a talisman that's that like protects her. And I also think that her weapons are either silver or iron, which means yes, that right. they could actually affect the uh, the spirits versus just like right, like you know other other you know wooden things wouldn't really have an effect on them, <laughs> or yeah. punching them wouldn't really have an effect on them. Right. But yeah, so she's able to escape, which makes sense. She's she's a ca- a guard captain she's trained her whole life to be you know good uh in fighting scenarios and uh so yeah she's able to escape and as she's like basically getting away i think it's maybe like overnight she escapes or something like that and then the next morning she meets bartimaeus and how did you pronounce his main f- name for quarrel oh Fakwal. Fakwal. mm-hmm so Fak-wall. She meets Bartimaeus and Fakwal, and this is where we have the scene where <laughs> Fakwal wants to eat her, and Bartimaeus says, "No, nah, I don't think we should do that." Um, and so she convinces them. Well, she convinces Bartimaeus, and then Bartimaeus convinces Fakwal, more like uh, that. Maybe uh, she could follow through with what she said she was going to do, which is which is actually true. It's interesting because Bartimaeus believes in her for what she's going to do, and Fakwal doesn't. But whenever it comes to it, Fakwal actually does get released, and Bartimaeus is the one who doesn't get released. So, <laughs> the one who didn't believe actually got. Uh, what is that? Sent the difference. Back. Yeah, what's that? Uh, is it mercy or is it grace? Getting is grace getting something you don't deserve, and yeah. mercy is not getting something you do deserve. So, Fakwal, uh, <laughs> I can't say his Fakwal. Fakwal. It's okay. Uh, is the recipient of, uh, is the beneficiary of uh, Asmira and Bartimaeus. Uh, he is not. He does not get. Uh, well, you know, it's because of the perversion of uh, Kaba the Cruel here. Because yes, he's, you know, he's saying that he's going to leave it, but you know, if we we all have sin nature, and Kaba's is very well developed, so he's yeah. like, yes, I w- I will let him go, but really, I'll just put him in endless torment. Yeah, and Kaba doesn't, uh, he doesn't want to help Bartimaeus because he thinks Bartimaeus is the reason that he fell out of favor with Solomon because Bartimaeus was the one caught not following the rules and Kaba wasn't paying attention. And so indirectly, it's Bartimaeus' fault that Kaba, that Solomon does not like Kaba anymore. And so now this is Kaba's form of punishment to Bartimaeus for putting him in the position that he is now in. Um, Mm -hmm. So that's we get the we get one scene where it's Kaba's point of view and that's where we get his motivation for wanting to have the downfall of Bartimaeus so yeah yeah and that's where we uh that's where we leave our story we don't get any more with uh Asmira uh until the next section of the book which I have not read yet so that will be the yeah, end it's been years since I uh since I've read this all right so this is the part where we do predictions right and uh so so you, ob- you the obvious the obvious prediction is that uh, Bartimaeus will somehow get out of the uh, his um, glass indefinite tube. confinement. Yeah, yeah, he'll get out of his uh, his conundrum that he's in, his problem. Um, so somehow he's going to get out of there. Maybe uh, Fakwal will get help get him out, or um, maybe Asmira will help get him out because. Asmira will need Bartimaeus to get close to Solomon. Maybe there's going to be some kind of team up there. That could be kind of cool. Because um, Bartimaeus, I don't think, really likes Solomon. Doesn't seem like. 
Um, I don't know. I, I think he's I, it. I feel yeah. like Bartimaeus is on him. Bartimaeus is on nobody's side. It feels like he's on his own side. He's on. Oh yeah, Bartimaeus. he's definitely on. Yeah, he he wants he wants him he wants to be released. He wants to go home. Right. He doesn't care what happens to all these magicians. He doesn't like Kaba because he's cruel. He doesn't like Solomon because he's so powerful and he has all these magicians enslaving right. the jinn in the name of Israel. So he's he's not a fan. Yeah. So. Yeah, I don't know. Those are my predictions. Um, I assume. Yeah, I don't know. I, I'm wondering like how is it is Kaba like the bad guy in this story for Bartimaeus, or is it Solomon that's the bad guy? Um, so I wonder if the climax of the book will be more revolving around Bartimaeus defeating Kaba, or if it will be more around. Uh, having to do with Solomon and the ring. I mean, the the book is named the ring of Solomon. So I feel like it might have more to do with the ring. And, um, maybe there has to be a team up with Bartimaeus and Asmira to overcome the power of the ring, or they have to figure out a way to defeat the ring. Um, I feel like this is, I'm going to got to channel. You have to channel your inner Lord of the Rings and Frodo Baggins uh, to defeat the power of the ring. <laughs> you did you it to, again. You have to take you it all the way. Back. You have to take it all the way to Mount Doom and cast it into the fire from whence it came. This you must do. Uh, but you'll need a fellowship to make it happen. So we're going to need mm. we're going to need Bartimaeus. We're going to need Asmir. We're going to need a Fakwal. We're going to need a who else do we need? I don't know. We need somebody else. We need a better fellowship. Uh, yeah. Well, that might be the only fellowship you get. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's gonna be the. It's gonna be what has. It's gonna have to do. So. Yeah. Uh, yep. Yeah. That's that's my predictions. I predict Lord of the Rings will happen in the end of this story. Okay. The right. the, the ring will be destroyed. That's my. Prediction. I, I think I think you did a good job. I think you did a good job on your predictions there. I like I like what you said. Yeah. All right. Some of, some of it's accurate. Cool. Some of it is accurate. Very good. Yeah. All right. Yeah, that's my predictions. Um, yeah, I don't know. Do you have any final thoughts before we uh, roll the outro here? Uh, I'm just really glad I got to share this series with you. Um, there's so many books I want to share with you and with the listeners um, right. that I've just... I've just enjoyed. Like, the Bartimaeus trilogy was, like, one of my first staples, like... I read it, I think I read it in college and then I just loved it that I like listened to it like when I got my job and then like a year would go by and I listened to it and then like, I forget if it was, if the books were coming out or if they all, I think I was waiting on the last book. I could be wrong. Um, I don't remember when you said that last one was published, but yeah, this has just been a great series in my life that I've always like come back to, uh, mostly the trilogy. Like this is maybe like only the second time that I've read this book or the third, uh, where <clears throat> the other ones I probably have read like five times um, okay. over the course of, of years and stuff. So, um, yeah, just happy to share it. And, uh, yeah, we'll see. Uh, I'm interested to hear what you think of the ending here. Um, yeah. It's good. like this, this next part of the book will be different from the first uh, two parts of the book. Awesome. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. Um tomorrow i will start reading it uh me too yeah there you go um so yeah next episode we will be doing part two of this book which will be chapters 21 through 38 if you are following along with us in the uh, paperback or on audio 
or on Kindle or hardback. I don't even know. Is there hardback for this book? Probably, but any version you I have. So. Um, yeah, so you can follow us on social media if you want. Pages of Light. Just search us up. You'll probably find us on any of those social media platforms. And uh, you can go to pagesoflight.com to see all the new stuff happening. And if you want to support the podcast, you can give us a review on your podcast platform, Apple Podcasts or wherever you're listening. Um, And also subscribe on the YouTube if you want to watch the video version. You can also check out some of the other videos I've done in the past. I've done some book reviews and such. Uh, Definitely need to get back and doing other types of content uh, besides the podcast. Um, So, yeah, eventually I'll get around to it. So stay tuned for all those things. And, yeah, that is going to do it. Remember to keep reading and share the gospel with somebody this week. And we'll see you guys in the next episode. Bye.